Please rise for the reading of God's Word from Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verses 14 and 15. Hear now God's Word. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many, many become defiled. And thus far the reading of God's word, and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. We have dealt with big world issues for several weeks now, asking and answering the question, what's wrong with the world? And the answer, in every case, is sin. But the Bible is capable of dealing with the whole world and also with us as individuals, the one and the many. And it turns out that in both cases, both that of the world as well as us individually, that sin is still the problem. Pastor Booth, you asked, why do you talk or preach so much about sin? We want to hear about happy and uplifting subjects. And all this talk gets us down. Well, I talk so much about sin because the Bible talks so much about sin. It's the Bible that teaches us that all of our problems are ultimately sin problems. The Bible tells us the truth about ourselves, and that by itself is or can be rather depressing. So it's the sin and the truth about us that gets us down. But of course, neither the Bible nor I ever stop with the subject of sin without pointing to the gospel, which is the only remedy for sin, and that's why it's called good news. It's the good news that Christ died to save sinners and to transform sinners. That is what lifts us up. It's the truth that sets us free. And anything else that tries to lift us up is a lie, and those lies will always let us down. Happy pills don't ultimately make us happy. So I will not back off probing about for the sin that is causing you the real pain, that is getting you down, that is creating all the problems in your life. Neither will I back off preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ as the miracle that is needed to relieve you of that pain. It doesn't get any more practical than this. Our text from Hebrews 12, the first part of the text, commands us to pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. So to pursue peace with all people means, to be more specific, because we might uh, be able to dodge this. Somebody, I think Chesterton pointed out that uh, it's, God's, it's God's work to love the world. It's our work to love our neighbor, which for us is much more difficult. And so when, the, when this text tells us to pursue peace with all people, It means the people that you know, starting with those who are closest to you, your family, 
your husband, your wife, and then working it out from there. You and I should be running swiftly. That's what it means to pursue, to catch those with whom we don't have peace in order to initiate peace, in order to be the blessed peacemakers that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. In doing so, we are also pursuing our own sanctification, our own holiness, which is one of the main evidences that we are truly children of God. He is holy, and we as His children must likewise be holy. Those who are not holy have no reason to think that they will uh, see God. It's not that being holy earns you a good standing with God, but rather holiness is the inevitable fruit that is the evidence that you do know God. To be in covenant with, to be in covenant with God is to pledge yourself to be united to Him and in hot pursuit of holiness. Now this passage that we just read from Hebrews has a parallel passage in Deuteronomy chapter 29, which reads, I make, God is speaking, I make this covenant and this oath, not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God. Excuse me, I said that was the Lord, it's Moses speaking. So uh, so I made this covenant and this oath, not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God, as well as with him who is not here with us today. For you know that we dwelt in the land of Egypt and that we came through the nations which which you passed by, and you saw their abominations and their idols which were among them, wood and stone and silver and gold, so that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, and that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood, And so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself, excuses himself. Oh, it doesn't apply to me. Uh, In his heart saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. There's a powerful warning here not to be, that we are not to be deceived by our own hearts. You and I have been called to come out of the world, to come out and be separate, to be holy. Starting with God is not sufficient. Continuing with God, man or woman or family or tribe, not turning away from the Lord our God. And then this Deuteronomy text says that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood. Abiding bitterness is a sure evidence of a man or a woman who is not right with God. To fail here is to fall short of the grace of God. God didn't save you to take you to heaven. He saved you to make you holy. And if you're not being made holy, then you will not be fit for heaven. The second part of our Hebrews text says, looking carefully. So I want to pause and make sure this morning, as you listen to this sermon, you just push everybody else 
for a moment out of your brain and and there's just you before God and His Word. And you're now going to look very carefully. Looking carefully at yourself. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. And by this, many become defiled. So bitterness is one of those things, if left unattended, that could derail you and cause you to come up short to cause you to drift away from God. Your discontent, your discontent leads to bitterness, and bitterness is a prolific weed. I think it's a thistle full of prickly thorns. It has deep roots, and it defiles you, and it hurts others. Now, there are several subjects in the Bible that need to be revisited on a somewhat regular basis. The subject of bitterness is one of those subjects. So if you think you've heard some of this before, you probably have. But if you're like me, you need to hear it again and again and again. We must always be on the lookout for hens, uh, for snakes in the hen house. If you've ever had that experience, as I have, that first time when you weren't on the lookout, it gets all of your attention. Uh, They can be sneaky. Well, bitterness is one of the most insidious sins. It's sneaky. It lurks in the background. It can defile individuals, entire families, churches, and cultures. And unlike momentary sins, bitterness is a lingering sin. It, uh, it does its damage a little at a time, like a leaky faucet or, or pipe that just drips. It's relentless in its corroding work, and if it's not dealt with, it grows over time, and so it must not be ignored and it must not be nurtured. Bitterness is a form of... Of anger. Now there is a righteous anger, as we will see, and there's also a righteous bitterness. The Bible says, "Be angry and sin not." However, it is more common in its more common sinful forms. It regularly consumes those in its path. It does even more da- damage to the container that's holding it than it does the objects upon which it's poured. I've seen bitterness up close and personal. Because this is a sin that I wrestle with. Because it's a sin that I've seen many of you wrestle with. Because it's a sin I've seen many not wrestle with and who have been overcome by it. I have seen what it does to bitter individuals over time. I've seen what a bitter person can do to others over time. And I've observed what it does in marriages and families and churches and other cultures. And so, I'm speaking to no one and to everyone. I have no particular person or situation exclusively in mind as I preach this sermon. By the way, I've preached a version of this sermon three or four times over my 36 years in the ministry. However, since you're all sinners and I'm your shepherd and since 
The sin of bitterness is so pervasive, so deceptive, so insidious, and it often has deep roots, then I come to you on this sunny day to warn you of and to prepare you for dealing with this serious enemy of your soul. To conquer in Christ the sin of bitterness is to ensure not only your happiness and peace, but also to spare many others misery as well. Now earlier, the author of Hebrews warned in Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 14, beware, brethren, there's another one of those warning passages, be careful, in this case, look out for, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. You say, well, I'm a believer. Here I am at church today. I'm worshiping. Uh, don't you dare insinuate that perhaps I'm not a true Christian or that I'm not following Christ. And yet the Bible gives these warnings and it's written to the church. It's written to people just like me and you. And there's a warning here that little by little we can pull back away from truly passionately, sincerely following Christ. And because bitterness has deceived so many, it's our responsibility to pray that our Heavenly Father would teach us to be perceptive about this great evil. Now, everyone faces some hard circumstances. Sometimes when we're the one facing it, it can feel like we're all by ourselves. The people of Israel in their wanderings had come to a hard circumstance. Imagine being extra thirsty and then you come to the waters of Mara and you see the waters and you're, you're, you're rushing toward them to have your thirst quenched and the water turns out to be bitter and you can't drink it. Because of this, they began to murmur and grumble and they became bitter just like the water. And the passage from Exodus 15 says, Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And so he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statue and an, a statute and an ordinance for, for them. And there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I'll put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Alim, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees, and they camped there by the waters. And so... Bitterness is the form of trial, uh, in the form of trial, often becomes bitterness in the form of rebellion. Moses prayed to the Lord, who showed him a tree that would make the water sweet when it was thrown into the water, and so he did so, and immediately after this, Moses made a statute and an ordinance with the people, casting a comparable tree into their midst. He said, okay, uh, here's a tree I'm going to cast among you, and if you'll 
receive this tree, if you'll follow this, then you too, you won't be bitter. And what was that? So this tree that must be thrown into our, must be thrown into our water also, which is to diligently listen to the Lord, do what's right according to Him, listen to His commandments, keep His statutes, and then the Lord will keep them free from the diseases of Egypt. God would heal them, just as He had healed the waters, the bitter waters. And then they came to Alim, where there were 12 wells of good water and 70 palm trees. And so we must not become wooden about our words. For example, the Bible prohibits certain forms of anger. Uh, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. But then again, it says, be angry and sin not. So there's righteous anger and unrighteous anger. And the same thing is true with bitterness. And so we want to address the sin of bitterness, but we we must remember also the entire scope of God's word to us. Just as an example, there are certain kinds of bitterness in repentance, for example. So Peter went out and wept bitterly over his sin. And there's a hard providence that drives us to rely on the Lord, as Hannah did. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. But we should also remember that we might sin even here. When a hard providence does not drive us to the Lord. When we don't respond to that hard providence in a godly manner. So a very common occasion for bitterness uh, to take root is when other people sin against us. We often forget that God is behind it. As the Puritan Thomas Watson noted, we know all about the person who brought this trial to us, and yet we forget the one who sent it. When we forget God's sovereignty, we're disobeying the word of God to us, and how can we complain that others disobey the word when we're doing the same thing? Shammai was the guy that ran along the hillside, cursing David and his men, throwing rocks and dirt up in the air and carrying on. And David's men uh, simply wanted to go take his head off. Uh, But David understood something that they had forgotten. Here's what he says. David said to his men, Let him alone. Let him curse. For so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. Leave it in the hands of God. God would deal with Shammai in due time. And so David was not going to let Shammai get to him. He he handed it to the Lord. Now there are two key passages we must consider. And the first one gives a flat prohibition. Ephesians 4, 30 and 31. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. when, When we're angry and when we're bitter... We're not the only two people involved, only two persons. The Godhead is troubled, grieved. When he looks at his children and he sees us acting that way and with those attitudes of the heart. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How how do we do that? Let all bitterness, how much? 
every last speck. Zero. Can't I be a little offended? Can't I I grovel a little bit? Can't I ruminate on this offense a little bit? Can't I feel sorry for myself a little bit? No. All. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Every last bit of it. The second passage, which is from today's text, illustrates the consequences of disobedience. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. So bitterness then is like a root, and roots are out of sight, gathering up whatever feeds them, And you began by trying to dig up a small six-inch stump and four hours later and half your yard's gone and you're, you're thinking about getting some dynamite. It's that kind of root. Bitterness is like that and when it springs up into a plant above the ground, many are defiled. Now, if I do something wrong, if I sin, I think about it. And what comes to mind is, well, that was wrong. But what if someone does something wrong to me and I become bitter about it? Whenever I think about it, what comes to mind is what that person did to me and not my own bitterness. If I tell a lie, then of course I have to correct it. And when I think of it, I think of my own sin. But if someone lies about me, and spreads it all over town, the strong temptation is for me to focus on their lie and not on my own resentment. Yeah, but they. It's an optical illusion designed to trap me. I can't confess their sins, or I can confess their sins all day long, and my joy will not come back. The Scriptures give us different descriptions of how bitterness can originate. There are different causes of bitterness. One is worshiping another God. Turning away from God leads to sin, and sin leads to bitterness. Jeremiah 2.19, your own wickedness will correct you and your backslidings will rebuke you. Know therefore and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God And the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord God of hosts. And in Jeremiah 4, 17 through 18, like keepers of a field, they are against against her all around because she has been rebellious against me, says the Lord. Your ways and your doings have procured these things for you. This is your wickedness because it is bitter, because it reaches to your heart. So, If you're living a life of disobedience to the Lord, you're not following Him. You're not a lover of Jesus Christ and His Word. That's somewhere back on the shelf at home. Don't be surprised if things don't go well in your life or in your family or in your relationships. They're not going to. And that can lead to your own bitterness. This is not what I wanted. This isn't fair. This is I wanted it to have a happy ending, and it's not. But the Bible told you that the way of the transgressor is hard. 
This is bitterness that strikes at the heart. A second cause is greed and envy. We want what someone else has, but God hasn't given it to us. When Simon saw the power that was with Peter, he tried to get it by means of his God, which was money. So we read in Acts chapter 8, 18 through 23, And when Simon saw that uh, through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. He was an envious man, and bitterness had become his prison. A third cause of bitterness is sinful sweetness. This is a sin that seemed like a really good idea at the time. I don't see anything wrong with this. This can't hurt. Proverbs 5, 3 through 4, For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. So sweetness at the beginning is bitter death at the end. The thing you thought you wanted now sickens you. Do you remember what happened after Amnon forced himself on his sister Tamar? Oh, he just had to have Tamar. She was gorgeous. She was hot. So he manipulated things and he assaulted his own sister. And I think just one of those really powerful verses, 2 Samuel 13, 15. So after he's had his way, after he's gotten what he thought he wanted, we read this, then Amnon hated her exceedingly so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. In the end, it cost Amnon his life. If the flatterer is to be believed, adultery can be sweet, but the end is necessarily bitter. And last, there are all the tangles that come from intimacy gone wrong. The Apostle Paul is clear. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter against them. Bitterness most commonly occurs toward the ones closest to us. There are some telltale signs that would be good for each of us to be aware of. You know you're bitter when? You ask most people, are you bitter? Almost instantly they say no. That's not always so. How do you know when you're bitter? Well, here's a few here, and we'll wrap up with this. You have a sharp memory for all details. Bitterness has a good has good study habits. Review, review, review. Bitterness retains a long and an old list of offenses. 
Bitterness loves to ruminate on the offense. It loves to nurture and feed itself. Second, anonymous critiques or attacks. Bitter words are frequently unsigned. Psalm 64, 2-4. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked for the rebellion of the workers of iniquity who sharpen their tongues like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows. Bitter words that they may shoot in secret at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot him and do not fear. Rather than confront sin in a peaceable and godly manner, as God says to do, we hold it close and we harbor secret bitterness that keeps score and in time we will use its poison against the object of our bitterness. Third, imaginary conversations. These are conversations that occur in the mind over and over and over. And then I said to him, it's often here where bitterness embellishes the story. It's here where our imaginations run wild. A fourth moral inversion occurs. Isaiah 50, 20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. When you find yourself justifying what you never would approve of in other circumstances, you're bitter. Fifth, your heart and mouth are full of it. Romans 3.14, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. What happens, let me ask you this, what happens when the jar of your life is jostled? What comes out? Battery acid or honey? Jostling the jar does not change the contents of the jar. But the jostling frequently reveals the contents of the jar. You have a hair trigger. You're ready at a moment's notice to whip out all the stuff you've been storing up and saving up for this very moment to just let somebody have it. You're bitter. And they'll kill you. They'll kill everybody around you if it has a chance. A man or woman or child who is convicted by the Spirit of God over their bitterness needs to make simple application. We're going to talk more about this next week, but they must confess their own sin, 1 John 1, 9, as though they were the only one at fault. Yeah, but God, yeah, I shouldn't be feeling this way about this person. I, shouldn't, I know I shouldn't be bitter, but... No, just leave the but off. Leonard Reed said one time about economic arguments, he said the problem with that argument is it drowned in an ocean of butts. Just leave that off. Just say, Lord, today I just want you and me. I want you to deal with me. For all practical purposes, bitterness does not know how to think about the faults of others anyway. It's prejudiced, and so it shouldn't even try. If you're bitter... And trying to extract the specks from other people's eyes, you will fail miserably. So what is the conclusion of all of this? I want to challenge you to look inside. I mean look deep inside. What kind of fountain are you? 
What kind of water comes out of you? Is your name Mara or Alim? James teaches us that it must be one way or the other. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. If there were anyone who had a legitimate cause to be bitter, it was Jesus. I'll just close with this Hebrews 12, 1 and 3, same chapter here. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And I think bitterness is one of those sins that very easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy, I mean, imagine you're nailed to the cross. You're talking about complete injustice. And as he's nailed to the cross, he says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Now next Lord's Day, we will look in more detail about how we can be free from bitterness. Let's pray. Father, while we have offended you and others many times in our own, with our own sinful conduct, yet we are tempted to retain the offenses of others against us and nurture those offenses until they defile us with bitterness. Lord, convict us of our sins of bitterness and set us free by your grace in Jesus Christ. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Swallowing a bitter pill can be difficult. Or do you remember taking that spoonful of some bitter medicine or watching someone else do so? I have to smile a bit because I remember watching my sister little sister do that and that was uh it took about four adults to get her to take a teaspoon of that do you remember the face that was made you see it's hard to be bitter and to hide it sometimes we think we're covering it up but we can't do it for long it always seeps out the lingering taste of bitterness on the tongue can ruin a meal it lingers The bitterness we harbor in our hearts can also ruin this meal that we're about to take. God required the children of Israel to eat bitter herbs at the Passover 
so that they would remember their days of bondage in Egypt. But there are no bitter herbs at the Lord's table because in Christ you have no cause for bitterness. We have been delivered by His grace. To remain bitter is to deny His work. Nehemiah 8, 9-10, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And Ephesians 4, 30-32 again, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. How? Just as God in Christ forgave you. That's the standard. As usual, the Bible sets the bar high. Not just forgive them and say, okay, I forgive you, but go away. I don't want to be around you anymore. No, Jesus forgives us. And He says, come, let's sit down and have a meal together. Let's restore complete communion and fellowship and intimacy. That's the sign that we are forgiving as Christ forgave us. So let's come and celebrate the meal together. Let's pray. O Lord, always be our support and strength in the midst of spiritual warfare, wherein we have pledged today to engage anew against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have solemnly renounced our sins and expressed our desire above all things to be delivered from them. Be graciously pleased to accept these sincere intentions and desires and to consider our many weaknesses. Keep us steadfast in the resolutions we have made against every evil way. We implore the constant assistance of the Holy Spirit to subdue our corruptions and restrain all inordinate desires to make us delight in your ways and to replenish our souls with all Christian graces and virtues. As we examine our lives, may we find in ourselves a greater growth and steadfastness in the practice of our faith, greater striving daily, remembering who we are in Christ, and moving on from grace to grace and from virtue to virtue. May we live and die in it in your favor and obedience and be received into your eternal and glorious kingdom through the merits and meditation of your Son, Jesus Christ, our blessed Savior and Redeemer. Amen. Hey, brethren, farewell. Become complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Amen.